Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Joining us are two members of the Bear Green Solutions team, Dr. Zach Riker, Dr. Paul Giordano. Zach and Paul co-authored an excellent article appearing in the May issue of Golf Course Industry titled Dealing with Disruption. This podcast serves as an audio complement to the article. Zach and Paul offer technical expertise to help superintendents and their teams handle this unique period in golf course maintenance. Zach and Paul are well-versed on handling potential agronomic issues, and there's plenty of great information about disease, weed, and insect control, native area management, and cart traffic management packed into this podcast. Well, Zach and Paul, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. The first thing I want to ask is both of you are working remotely. Zach's in Nebraska and Paul is in Michigan. Just kind of describe what the spring has been like for the two of you so far and what are some of the things you're doing to continue serving customers, other people in the industry? Yeah, out in Nebraska, uh, we've been, uh, uh, I guess, relatively fortunate. We don't have uh, many uh, relatively low infection. We've never been closed down, so golf courses are still open and uh, certainly limit ourselves to visiting those golf courses. My time really hasn't been that much different than every other spring uh, other than I'm, I, I work from home as opposed to going out and giving talks. Uh, our, our job really is, is service to the, uh, really service to uh, the distributors and the, the uh, superintendents. And so rather than giving in-person talks, I'm giving a, giving a ton of webinars. actually just got off two webinars this morning. And we spend a lot of time giving webinars, updating our, our technical documents, uh, answering email, text, phone messages, uh, diagnostics. And so uh, other than the physical location, uh, my life hasn't changed much. So I don't know what it is, what, what you think, Paul, but that's, that's, that's my take from just outside of Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, hey, uh, hey, guys, thanks for having me. So up here in Michigan, uh, if you've been watching the, the situation play out, we've obviously been one of the states that were hit pretty hard uh, early with the COVID infections. And so based on the, the governor's mandates and some of the things that have been going on, the golf industry has been shut down since March, as has lawn and landscaping duties. So some of the more extreme measures being taken in this state have certainly impacted play. Luckily, we've been able to to keep the industry going, and, and golf course maintenance has still been um, taking place. So that's good. Um, more recently, they've lifted that um, that restriction on golf and landscaping. So just in the last couple of days, we've seen a pretty heavy flood of, of you know participation. But in general, and the weather up here has been unseasonably cool for the month of April. It's been a lot of precipitation. We've had some snow days in April and, um, you know, really somewhat unprecedented from that standpoint. So I think in terms of revenues lost or playable days, if you will, I don't know that we lost a whole lot of golfing time um, just based on the weather that we've been experiencing. But um, I'll echo Zach's comments in terms of my job responsibilities. Look, you know, I, I cover the whole northeastern quarter of the United States, if you will, and I do travel a lot. Again, it's, it's really technical product support, agronomic support for our distribution partners, for our golf course superintendent customers. And um, Without being able to get out and see those folks, it's really been a lot of virtual meetings, webinars, um, internal projects, things of that nature, but still trying to keep in regular communication with, uh, with the folks in the industry, and I think it's, it's worked quite well. So not all is bad, and, and looking forward to getting back out there sooner than later. 
Zach, what type of technical information are distributors and superintendents seeking right now? Is it the, the same type of technical information that they've sought in the past, or has that changed a bit because of some of the situations going on with COVID-19? Yeah, it hasn't, uh, uh, it hasn't changed 180 degrees. I think, uh, personally, I think that with, with the uncertainty in uh, really labor, uh, you don't know, you know, who's going to show up today or tomorrow, depending if their kids are at home or, uh, or if they're going to get shut down for maintenance, whatever. There's just a lot of uncertainty. So I think a lot of guys uh, are really looking for what they can do today that they're going to get the most bang for their buck. One of my favorite sayings is, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think this year, more than any year of the past, I mean, even though it's important every year, but this year more than ever, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or two months from now when the diseases are, 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 are on fire. And so things that guys can do right now uh, uh, that's going to pay off, pay dividends three months from now, uh, I think that's, that's the most important information that we're delivering and what they're asking for also. Same thing with you, Paul. What type of questions are you, are, are you getting right now? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's anything significantly different than years past. I mean, there is a, a, a degree of sensitivity around you know, products being used and maybe trying to scale back and save here and, and kind of squirrel away maybe some products for a rainy day and maybe not getting as aggressive, particularly in those states that have limited amounts of play. I mean, without the amount of traffic on the golf course or the stress on the turf this time of year, I think we can kind of ease off the, the accelerator, so to speak. And so I think from that standpoint, things have, have, uh, have maybe been a little bit tempered, if you will. But in general, I think from a, a pest control standpoint, be it weeds, diseases, or insects, um, this is the time of year that everything starts ramping up. So I, I don't know that a lot of these things are really avoidable. Um, how, you're, how you approach it can be you know, changed a little bit, but I, I haven't seen many altering their approach dramatically, at least yet. Paul, there are a lot of um, superintendents right now working with uh, nowhere near the, the personnel that they usually have, and they have to prioritize even better than a normal spring, and they do an excellent job of it during an, a normal spring. But from a, a, a plant protection and plant health perspective, what are some keys to, to prioritizing what would need to be done right now to ensure that the, there aren't problems when more people get back on the golf course? great question and this is a question i you know i get as a as a classically trained turf pathologist um, particularly from those golf course operations that tend to be maybe a little bit lower budget um you know if there's one thing that they can do um in terms of fungicide applications what would it be and as zach mentioned bang how do they get the most bang for the buck and right now as turf starts to really ramp up you're you're starting to push a lot of roots the, the diseases, particularly those school-born diseases, wake up as well, and that's when they do a majority of their infecting. Um, albeit you may not see symptoms until later in the season, now is the, the time to be addressing some of those more problematic root diseases. So I think if you talk to really any pathologist, the most prudent approach is to target those early in the year when their inoculum levels are low, when you can get and stay ahead of them, with good a good application of a strong fungicide. We, we like to promote our DMI fungicides this time of the year. They're very broad spectrum. Um, they, they tend to be some of the most powerful tools that we have available to us. And so you can 
put down a DMI like a, a Mirage, a Tebiconazole type product, um, and really take care of a majority of your soil-borne fungal organisms. At the same time, you may want to consider if you run into a historic pythium problem, if you have issues on your golf course from pythium root rot or root dysfunction, now's a good time to be addressing those. And the same can be said for nematode problems. So right now is kind of that sweet spot. Soil temperatures of 60 to 65 degrees, everything's ramping up. If you can target uh, a, a nice soil application for disease management, you're going to go a long way um, and really be able to stretch your intervals further into the season and, and hopefully not be chasing these issues later on. Because the problem with root diseases is once they take hold or once you have the infection, it's essentially irreversible. Uh, you're not going to be able to address these very successfully in a curative fashion. So, again, if I, you know, one recommendation, you're going to do something now, target those root diseases, use your good chemistries, your heavy hitters, uh, and, and try to get that, wipe that plate clean moving into uh, the stressful parts of the summer. Uh, I just want to echo what Paul says, because if, because uh, we're entering uh, for cool season turf, this is our period uh, of, of high root growth. And so if, if we have damage done to the roots, now or over the next month or so, there is literally no way to catch up to that root growth again until next spring. And so uh, you will have to live with compromised roots. And so, man, now is the time really to invest in those roots. And and some guys are going as far, you know, if they're lucky enough not to have golf and they still have, you know, pretty good maintenance staff, a lot of guys I know are getting aggressive with aerification and and doing things that they normally wouldn't be able to do and really investing in those root systems. Zach and Paul, what are you seeing in your respective regions in terms of soil temperatures? Are we warming up fast? Are we warming up on schedule? Are we warming up slow right now in the regions you cover? I guess I can start on that one. Um, You know, given the size of our territory, it's going to be a little bit um, diverse. I can tell you in the northern tier of the country, it's been a slow go. I think, um, you know, if we look at GDD models, we've been actually tracking maybe a little ahead of last year, which is surprising. Soil temps have not been indicative of that. So ambient air temperature on average has been kind of fluctuating. We've been accumulating growing degree days. But soil temps and phenological indicators are actually substantially behind, at least up here in the north. As we move further east, and a little bit south, I think it um, maybe is more of an average year, kind of standard uh, year. Soil temperatures have been slowly creeping up, and I think phenological indicators are kind of right on the money. So, again, it, it just kind of depends um, from, a, from a regional perspective. And, Zach, I don't know, your territory is bigger than mine, so you may have even a more diverse answer than mine. Yeah, I cover, uh, this is Zach, I cover uh, essentially everything west of the Mississippi, in, uh, including Hawaii, uh, and Alaska. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, you know, like Paul says, in the north, it's, it's, it's cooler, but, you know, really nothing is, is sticking out like it's a horrible year or it's uh, way ahead or way, way beyond. This is, at least in my part of the world, probably about as average as we're going to get for a spring, whatever average is anymore. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, the good thing about my about you know the cover, the area that I cover is that a, a good chunk of uh, of warm season grasses, and uh, we're really getting into a time that 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 these warm season grasses are coming into their own. Not as much pest pressure 
it's really the cool season guys that really have to work hard right now to, to really set those, themselves up for a good summer. Yeah, we've just spent some time focusing on disease pressure, but Zach, what's the, what are some of the weed pressures in your region? I know it's so diverse, and the, the weeds that are growing in Hawaii aren't the same as the ones that you would see in Nebraska <laughs> or Minnesota, but what are, what are some keys to handling weed pressure during this period of maybe minimal or redu- reduced uh, maintenance crew sizes? Yeah, well, I would beg to differ. I, I think Hawaii is much is very similar to Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> so, oh, come on. You're, I've been to both. You're, that certainly isn't the case. <laughs> yeah, uh, Hawaii, is, uh, Hawaii is a riot. It's tremendously diverse. I love going out there. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's the, it's the season now for annual grasses, whether it's warm season grasses, uh, warm season turf, or cool season turf. So uh, the crabgrass, the goosegrass in particular, is always a tough one. Uh, foxtails and some of the normal rough. These are the these are the grasses that can be controlled uh, with a well-timed or two well-timed applications of pre-emergent herbicides. Uh, warm season grasses uh, products like uh, like our Spectacle uh, will give a really long season control in the warm season grasses uh, or in the warm season turf. Uh, but it really now is the time to hit those uh, annual grassy weeds. Uh, and again, it's, it's the most bang for your buck. If you miss those pre-emergent herbicides that should be applied you know, in the last month or two and you know, for another month, depending on where you live, uh, you will pay the price all summer long. And so pre-emergent herbicides are really important for, uh, for gulf turf. And that's, that's, that's where we're focusing right now. In terms of the broadleaf, gra- broadleaf weeds, uh, that tends to be a later spring, uh, mostly fall type of application in many parts of the of the country. And how about you, Paul? In, in the the parts of Midwest you cover in the Northeast, a little bit early to be talking weeds, but what can be done now to plan for some of the things that may happen in in the summer? Yeah, I think Zach hit it on the head. I mean, that's pretty much a universal truth, whether it's cool season or warm season turf. I mean, we, guys are. are and if not already, they they're they're pretty late to the game getting their pre-emerge out for for crabgrass control, and those further south for the goosegrass applications are, um, you know, again, same sort of product lineup. Um, spectacle in the warm season grass has got a lot of, of great success with goosegrass control, and some of the more recent research that we've seen uh, coming out of Matt Elmore's lab at Rutgers using uh, Ronstar on fertilizer. Uh, in either a single or split type applications, even on cool season uh, turf grass. So goosegrass being a, a growing problem um, down in the transition zone and kind of the mid-Atlantic, it, it definitely is at top of mind for those guys as we get into that, that time frame. So pre-emerge absolutely um, is really the way to go. And, and again, much like the diseases, we don't want to be chasing a lot of these nasty weeds uh, post-emerge because your success rate is going to be significantly lower. It's interesting over the last, really over the last few years, uh, we're starting to see weeds like goosegrass really penetrating in the upper Midwest, uh, Iowa and, and farther north. And in my part of the world, I'm starting to see crabgrass in, in Portland and the Pacific Northwest, which they've never had crabgrass before. And so uh, uh, guys have to be aware of things that are, you know, these, the, the job of a weed is to expand its territory. And they're pretty good at it. So uh, keep an eye on, on how uh, new weeds are entering your area. You know, with fewer people on a lot of these maintenance crews right now, 
and not a lot of distributors and people and researchers and people like yourself able to get the golf courses. This is for either of you. How can a superintendent handle the reduced scouting time that they're going to have? I mean, there are not as many eyes looking at the turf. What areas should you look at when you really have to be selective with, with your scouting because of personnel reductions? That's where I think really good preventative applications make sense because you might not have the time. You might have to, you might have to uh, substitute scouting good, strong preventative applications of, of fungicides, pre-emergent herbicides, uh, uh, long-term residual insecticides because you might not have the staff. And so that's, this is where the labor, where the rubber really hits the road, where you might have, you know, an assistant or two with a really good set of eyes. Well, those guys might be on fairway mowers now or whatever. And so uh, uh, a good, solid preventative application makes sense. And then the other one, and most superintendents are already doing this, whether they're doing it intentionally or, or just uh, by their nature, they go right to the problem greens or right to the problem spots. And they all have indicator greens or indicator spots that are that's really you know the uh, uh, forebearer of bad news, and that's where they have to spend a lot of their time. Yeah, I, I don't know that I can add much other than you know again, it, it, starting with those those historically problematic areas like Zach, greens, tees, and fairways exclusively at this point, particularly when when labor is short. Um, you know, I think a lot of these things that's interesting is you find a lot of time and effort being dedicated to these naturalized areas, which are a core component to the aesthetics of a golf course, but they require a ton of work. And I think in a year like we're seeing this year, where perhaps, you know, maintenance, either either the budgets are, are slashed or the labor is, uh, is scarce, I think those are the areas that are probably going to take the a, a biggest punishing, if you will, in terms of maybe being neglected to some extent for the, the more playable surfaces on the golf course. And hopefully the bunkers will be neglected too. <laughs> yeah, I mean they already have. I haven't I haven't seen a rake in a bunker for six six weeks right now. During play, obviously the superintendents and their teams are raking them and maintaining them beforehand. But yeah, that's that's certainly odd. Uh, Paul, in in your part of the country, the annual bluegrass weevil has the potential to be a a, a giant problem. Uh, where are we right now with that? What what can maybe we see from spring with it and what are some tactics for, for handling it right now yeah so this is one of those pests that you're not going to want to um, ignore um, you know there are a few things as i mentioned the root diseases you know the the annual grassy weeds and now the annual grass weevil it's going to have to be addressed particularly in in the northeast and mid-atlantic where it is extremely problematic um, we're just now getting into the time frame at least in the northeastern part of the united states where um, we're starting to think about adulticide applications. So as we get into the persithia, half gold, half green, um, you know, 200 to 250 GDDs, um, this is really the time frame where the adulticides are being made uh, or the applications are being made to target peak adult populations. Um, so I know folks have already pulled the trigger in some of the, the warmer parts of uh, the Northeast, and I think, you know, as we work our way over to kind of the Pittsburgh market, it's, it's starting to, to be that time as well. Moving forward, obviously, I think we've learned over the years that we can't simply manage these critters with just adulticide apps. Um, we, we start to, we now have to rely on some of the heavier hitting 
chemistries, um, you know, the diamide chemistries, um, so the acelaprins, the ferrins, we've got a new diamide chemistry coming soon from Bayer, tetranilopril, that we're very excited about. But these chemistries are extremely effective and can be effective uh, on the larva of the annual bluegrass weevil. And so that application is typically about a, you know, two to three weeks after your adulticide application. So as we get into kind of the, the mid-May timeframe, uh, early to mid-May is typically around when we look at those applications. And a lot of it is dependent, obviously, on the weather. And uh, as you move further south, it's going to be a little bit earlier. But nonetheless, that's a, uh, it's again, it's something that can't be ignored. Um, and, and it's going to be probably one of those applications that is a mainstay in your program, regardless of what's going on, because of how destructive that pest can truly be. Paul, how important is it to stick to your program right now, if you, if you can? And we have to mention this on every podcast where we talk about disease. How important is it not to get away from rotating fungicides, too? Certain diseases, the pythiums, the dollar spots, the anthracnoses of the world, I mean, we know that they have a high uh, risk for, for resistance development within the population of those, those fungal organisms. So, you know, straying away or, or getting away from your best management practices with those diseases is not, is not something you want to do. Um, still maintaining good practices and rotation of different chemistries. Again, using your stronger chemistries up front, trying to manage those populations when they're low, are going to set you up for success and be, allow you to stretch your intervals later into the season. Um, the worst thing that can happen is you allow that inoculum to build up to a disease-causing level. You start to go after it in a curative sense. Now that population is far larger uh, than it would have been if you addressed it earlier, and now you're managing a population that's not only out of control, but it's also a lot more genetically diverse. Your chances of resistance development are far higher if you, if you manage in a curative fashion. So um, sticking to the program is, is always advised. Obviously, there are circumstances that may not allow you to do that, but to the best of the ability of the superintendent, I would recommend staying on those preventive programs because ultimately you're going to allow yourself to, to get the most out of your fungicides and likely end up spending less money overall than you would if you were chasing it in a curative sense later in the year. Zach, one of the big changes with how things are being done at open golf courses is, for the most part, only one person is allowed per golf cart right now. What can superintendents do to prepare for the maybe double the, the tire tracks and other traffic going to be out there? What are some tactics you have that can help them handle this potential uh, severe increase in wear? The biggest thing is... is uh, uh, diligent uh, traffic management. Uh, I know not everybody hates the signs and the ropes and all that, but uh, now more than ever, uh, being able to move those around and keep that that traffic spread out makes a lot of sense. Especially in the in the spring of the year, and some of these courses might not be up to their full growth potential, and so it's important to spread that traffic out so you don't wear that grass out before it gets to start uh, uh, a chance to start growing and. And uh, other than that, you know, we could always talk about more verification and 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 uh, which would help a lot. But in reality, you know, likely won't have the staff to do that. So I think uh, preventing uh, those wear areas to begin with is probably the best way to uh, to control that uh, up front. I would just add to that. I mean, one of the it's kind of a conundrum that we're in right now is you're not only doubling the amount of cart traffic, but a lot of golf courses are, are leaning pretty heavily on their growth regulator programs to reduce mowing 
necessity. So if you're over-regulating that turf and getting an excessive amount of traffic, the recovery from that traffic is going to be extremely slow, if not if non-existent at all. So you're kind of putting a double whammy. So anything you can do to alleviate those those additional stresses is going to help your cause. And then and then that could that could also lead to uh, increased weed pressure, uh, filling in the, that thin turf, and it gets to be a pretty ugly spiral downhill. Both of you have tremendous relationships in the industry. How creative are people going to get here in the next few months? And what are some things that we are really blessed with some really uh, forward-thinking uh, folks in the industry, men and women in the industry, and uh, and a, uh, a family-like atmosphere within the industry where if someone's got it figured out, you know, they let everybody else know through Twitter or whatever. And so uh, uh, I am seeing lots of pictures where folks are sending in, hey, what do you think this is? And uh, where instead of us visiting the golf course or any of our sales guys visiting the golf course, uh, seeing it via pictures, it's, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily cutting-edge technology, but that's something that, that uh, people are using now for diagnostic services. I know some of the universities now are accepting pictures because uh, they're not accepting uh, uh, samples. And so uh, any, anything that we could do to help like that, we, we, uh, we certainly do. Yeah, you bring up a great point, Zach. I think it's, this is forcing us to change the way we not only do business, but also how we communicate with one another and how we share ideas. And Again, we've, we've always been a very innovative industry, in my opinion, and we've been very communal in sharing uh, our trials and tribulations via social media, and that's, I don't think that's changing. What I do see changing are folks maybe leaning a little bit more heavily on um, some of the digital technologies that are out in the industry. I know, you know, the, the Greenkeeper app out of the University of Nebraska is, is extremely useful, and I think when you don't have sets of eyes on your, on your golf course or you're limited in the number of eyes that you have to help you out, those sorts of platforms can really be of use um, to kind of help, you, help guide some of the decisions that you're making. Um, so that's just one example, but I know there are a lot of other platforms and, you know, diagnostic-type um, or predictive model-type tools that are out there that folks can be using to help them uh, during this this time frame and beyond, I think this is going to change the way maybe the comfort level of a lot of superintendents and how they use those tools. The other thing we're seeing is um, again the way that we're doing business. Right? It's if we can't do it face to face, we can do it digitally, and whether that's digital diagnostics or um, you know discussing products over the phone or via webinars is just you know if we can't get in front of you, there's still ways to to get the job done. And, um, again, always innovating, um, always here to help. And that's, uh, I think we're, we're proving that as we speak. This is for either of you, but what do you need from a superintendent to properly help them remotely? What type of images do you need? What type of details do you have? What, what type of information should they be sending, uh, researchers like yourselves to, to, to get the proper guidance on how to handle a potential issue? So I'll, I'll start, um, <clears throat> Working in a, in a disease diagnostic lab for the better part of six years, there's a right way of submitting a sample, and there's a terrible way of <laughs> yeah. submitting a sample. Um, and, and obviously, if we're not able to, to look at the sample physically, it, it, it makes it that much harder. But there are some, you know, general rules of thumb to follow. Uh, the first being it's great to have not only a, a kind of a micro view of the, the symptoms, so up close, 
nice high quality image with your iPhone, your your you know your camera, whatever the case may be, and uh, but also a macro view. So stand back, give a general fan symptom of what's going on, as well as an up close. Um, you know, maybe a description of, of what's gone on, how, how quickly you notice the symptoms progress, um, what your management practices have been, you know, in the days or weeks leading up to that. That sort of basic information is extremely helpful to, to kind of wrap your head around what may be going on, some of the contributing factors. Um, that, you know, from a disease standpoint, I think that gets you at least in the ballpark and we can start to kind of um, really narrow from there. Uh, Zach, I'll let you handle maybe the weed ID aspect of it. Yeah, and, and, and uh, the disease, uh, it's, it's always nice to know what, uh, what the history is. I'll reemphasize that, what the history is, what your application schedule has been. If you've seen this disease before, if it's affecting one green or if it's affecting seven greens, there's a big difference there. And the pattern of a problem really makes a huge difference because lots of the problems we see uh, are often abiotic. They're not caused by a pathogen. So trying to trying to figure that out. And, you know, we're, we're a, a lot like medical doctors in this case. We're, we need, there's never too much information. We need all the information. And, and so in terms of the weeds, uh, a lot of guys will just send us one picture. And, you know, I'll, I'll use my, my uh, territory as an example. And so that picture could be coming from any one of 22 states. And it helps, uh, helps to know uh, what, <laughs> what the primary turf is, where you're, where you're sending it from for sure, and, uh, again, as much information as you can, what applications you've made. Have you made a pre-emergent herbicide application? Have you made post-emergent herbicide applications? And, and right now, more than ever, we have an acute awareness of, uh, of weed resistance, which I think is, I think is important because we have to rotate and tank mix our modes of action. It's critical to make sure our herbicides stay effective for long-term, long-term use. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, people are immediately jumping to the conclusion saying, well, I must have resisted POA or whatever it is. And it's still the rarity. And so that's why it's important to understand what you applied, how you applied, the timing of that app application, the confidence that uh, an accurate application was made, because sometimes guys... You know, they're sending a staff member out to make the application, and, you know, and things happen. And so uh, as much information as, as, as the guys can provide, uh, the, the better off we are. Bear has some terrific resources for superintendents and distributors. What are some of those, and where can they, where can they go over the next few months to, to, to learn more about some of the things we just discussed? I'll go first, Paul, if you, uh, if you yeah. don't mind. Yeah. I think our, the, our real strength at Bayer uh, is the people. And uh, the Green Solutions team, I love working with these guys, uh, really competent. But I think even stronger than the Green Solutions team is our uh, area sales managers. We have uh, 22 guys uh, in the field and are a tremendous resource. Most of them were former superintendents with uh, pretty serious experience. And um, most of the questions can be handled by these guys. And these guys are covering, you know, two, three, four, five states, depending on, on the territory. And so they see a lot and are really, really helpful. And then if they get stumped, uh, then they send it on to, on to us. And so 
personally, I think our our people are the are the strongest uh, resource for uh, superintendents out there. Yeah, I, I would echo Zach's sentiment, but also just add, I guess maybe a little bit shamelessly, some of the resources that our team has put together over the years. Um, you know, at our, at our website, environmentalscience.bayer.us, we've got tons of information on individual weeds, diseases, insects. Um, we call them kind of solutions guides, which, you know, we've written intentionally to be very digestible. Um, you know, they're kind of good synopses of, of what the best management practices are to attack those individual pests. With, with that, we also have um, product sheets and information on all of our fungicides, herbicides, insecticides, growth regulators. And then we have our Talking Turf blog, which we've compiled a lot of information over the last, geez, I don't know, five, seven years. We update this continually. Um, it's timely information that is germane to what's going on usually at, at this time of the year um, or, you know, at the time of the year that we're in, as well as it's also kind of uh, split out by geographic uh, location. So lots of good info. Um, admittedly, it's, it's almost too much to kind of navigate sometimes, but it, it's all there on the website. And certainly we're, we're always here to, to provide some, uh, some help if need be. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the, the avenues we could take. But, yeah, there's, there's, there's other stuff out there as well. No, there's nothing shameless about those plugs. Those are terrific resources. Uh, Paul and Zach, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for everything you do uh, for the industry, and and good luck uh, over the next few months here as you continue to help uh, superintendents and distributors and others in the industry in this in this new remote work model you're under. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and uh, thanks, Guy. And we appreciate what you do and. And, uh, you know, the bottom line, we are really, truly blessed to work in an industry like this. You know, really good folks, uh, caring, sharing, generous people. And I have been truly blessed to work in this, this industry for uh, over 40 years now. And uh, uh, love to do it every day. Get up early every day because I get a race to work. Race downstairs Couldn't. to work. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. There's, it's been said, and this is a quote that I love, and I think it, it rings ever true in this industry, is that we don't have to work every day. We get to work in this industry every day. It's a privilege. And, uh, yeah, and, again, appreciate what you do in, in golf course industry, all the, the support that you provide. So thank you very much. Well, I deal with quotes and words all day, and I, I can't think of a better one to end it on. So thanks for joining us. All right. Care. Thanks, Doc.